0: Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more movie and nostalgia podcasts, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me.
1: Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's as good all grown up. I'm Jordan Polan-Clark, and with me is my co-host, Kara Gallo oregan Hello. And with us today is Cage Club co-founder, Mike Manzi. Hello.
2: Hi, Mike. Hi.
1: Um, so today we are going to talk about the 1975 cult classic, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, which I had not seen since I was 16, and even then I think I only saw it once. What about you guys?
0: Uh, I was very into this movie, and like, many, really? oh, very much so. It It's a rite of passage for a lot of weirdos, and I was one of those weirdos, um, so in like middle school and high school I was very into it, and then I just kind of got sick of it, and I don't think I've seen it since, so it was really fun to read revisit. Not
1: since high school?
0: Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe okay. once okay. in college, but that's it.
2: Um. Yeah, I had always sort of known about the Rocky Horror Picture Show growing up and heard about it as like a midnight movie and people would get dressed up to go see it. Um, I never did, but it was always like playing at the theaters I was going to to see some films um, like growing up, but I never saw it until high school. And I also don't think I've seen it since high school, to be quite honest. I think I watched it a lot when I first discovered it because it just blew my mind, like, you know most things as it should yeah um like just you know watching this right in the middle of puberty (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like probably the perfect time to discover this movie but uh yeah and i was very excited to come back and revisit this we we're gonna talk about a different uh program on my return to the show because i haven't been here since the net Oh, yeah. Um, before so it was wow. even... That
1: was a long time ago. It was our second yeah. episode.
2: It wasn't even officially Wistful Thinking yet, I don't believe. So this is my... No,
1: it was still... Uh... Well,
0: we had the title.
2: Okay. <laughs> but it wasn't the format. Um, so I was very psyched that you guys sort of were like, you want to watch this instead? And I was like, oh, yeah. I've been meaning to get back to it. And, you know, it's the perfect time of year to watch it. And, yeah, yeah I loved it.
1: Awesome. I, did you guys used to go, did you guys used to go to the screenings?
0: I think I went to, like, maybe two of them, but it's a little much for me. I don't like loud noises. I don't like people flapping around in my face, so (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah, I prefer to, like, stay home and watch it.
2: I've always wanted to go. I I haven't. It's funny. Um, I just found out that in the town that I grew up, that like right down the street from where I live now, they're actually going to start doing it every other week at the oh, movie wow. theater there. Like that's
1: a lot. It's yeah. cr-
2: it's crazy. Like <laughs> the timing. Uh, I can't make it this weekend because the. You know I'm going to see Mandy the new Nick Cage movie, so I can't make that <laughs> I got priorities you know cage yeah, of Club course. priorities of course but um i I would love to try and get there at least once like it just um it just looks like a blast, like an experience, just like a one of a kind thing, you know, like mm-hmm. something you can't get anywhere else, and I don't think I'd ever become a regular, but I'd definitely love to pop my cherry one day,
0: yeah, I mean it's definitely it's worth it at least once because uh, it is. An experience, um, and I, I'm experience. curious, like how, like it, how the experience of going would be different now. Not just like because I'm older, but like also like our like the the broader culture has changed so much, and like there's so much more queer media out there, and like I just I, I feel like the the changes in the culture might also be reflected in the audience and, like, how they respond yeah. to the movie or how they dress for the event and stuff like that. So, yeah, it would be interesting to, to go at least one more time.
2: Well, so this is... Do you guys this feel like this is a positive representation of that culture? Like, I would... You know, because I would feel like even nowadays, like, this shouldn't even be a midnight movie. Do it at, like, 12 in the afternoon. <laughs> right. Kind of I mean, thing, that's the know? other reason
0: why I haven't gone again is that it's just – I'm a night person, but I don't want to go out that late.
1: <laughs> but- well, that's what – okay, so I, I saw this – I don't know why, but for some reason my, like, high school friends and I decided that, like, we were going to go see a screening when we were, like, 16, and – we watched it beforehand and then like we watched it the week before or something and then went to the screening and like I remember very little about it except for that it was Christmas time and so in addition to like being a whole thing there was a Santa Claus there (laughs) who and all the virgins had to come sit on his lap and get a present oh god which was, I thought I don't was very that. uncomfortable. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> but like, whatever. And we all got made fun of because we were super young too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I remember that. And then we were also sitting like right in the front. And the, my friend next to me kept falling asleep. <laughs> and one of the actors kept cueing me to poke her awake every time he <laughs> saw that she was asleep. <laughs> um so yeah watching stuff late at night is hard (laughs) yeah yeah
0: well this is actually considered to be the longest running release in film history because it's never actually been pulled by 20th century fox from its original 1975 release
2: oh that's a great
0: cinemas yep
2: that's an awesome title for it to be holding right now Mm -hmm. and it, it, it kind of is right if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure this was like if not the first midnight movie it definitely gave like midnight movie it's sort of name and reputation and then yeah like you know stuff like the room right like this is why we have the room yeah (laughs) well yeah right like at least screenings and why people throw like spoons at the screen for that and all kinds of things too it's yeah it's definitely from this
0: well before uh the rocky heart like the the way that they got the idea for the midnight screenings for rocky horror was that uh john water's pink flamingos which came out in 1972 and then also uh reefer madness the 1930s anti uh cannabis propaganda have you guys seen
1: Reefer madness yeah it's fun
0: i've
2: I've never seen it it's
1: so great i just watched it for the first time with my dad
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Anyway,
1: sorry. Um, I just had to put that in cuz it was excellent. Yeah. Uh
0: but they actually had been making money in midnight showings nationwide, so one of the executives at Fox uh was able to talk distributors into midnight screenings of Rocky Horror cuz it didn't do oh, very yeah. well when it first came out.
2: That's something that's super clever that no one at a major studio would do now or oh, do no. well yeah. which is like tap into the zeitgeist in that manner where it's mm-hmm. like whoa John Waters Pink Flamingo like this outsider filmmaker because also you know queer filmmaker right yep. like represents and all so like to to be able to like say this is a good thing and like not exploit it but like treat it as like a viable market that mm-hmm. could actually be you know gain ground and like gain sort of like a cult following which it did which it ended up doing and stuff like you would never see anybody nowadays like pull something like that off like no one is in touch with i feel like it feels like no one at the major studios is truly in touch with like what's happening in the streets to the extent that whoever was in charge of rocky horror actually figured out what to do with it
0: yeah yeah i mean on the one hand though you do have studios um kind of, you know, uh, uh, cynically cashing in on the push for diversity and inclusion. Um, But I think also, like, the way that subcultures exist now versus how they did in the 70s, where like, people actually needed to, like, congregate in physical spaces for mm-hmm. yeah. for that sort of thing to even exist um, versus the internet now. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of compare the two.
1: But I also think, like, if we're looking at, like, kind of cult status midnight movies, like, oftentimes it has... It's just that kind of magic that accidentally happens, you know, yeah, like i don't think I don't think you can do that on purpose, right, yeah,
2: yeah, people try to do that on purpose and they just become miserable failures of of movies. It's like when they try to make a bad movie for the fun of it, right, instead of the movies that you know turn out to be bad but enjoyable because they were genuine and done, you know. Because they were trying to make a serious movie or whatever, and then it, you know what I'm saying? Then it like mm-hmm. turns out to be bad, like sam, like your samurai cops or Jim Kata or like The Room and stuff like that. Like those movies feel sincere, and so, you know, that's why they're fun. It doesn't matter that they're bad. But then you can feel it sometimes when people are forcing it to be a cult film or something, and and they just don't. It feels like you just don't get it. Like you, it's not something you can force. It's just what the society decides. Right. You know, they're gonna. They're ultimately the judge.
1: This movie made me feel like the room, though. Where like, for the first like twenty to thirty minutes, I was so on board; it was perfect. And then for like forty-five minutes in the middle, I was like, "Ugh, this is so
3: hard to watch."
2: (laughs) It's a lot. Like it's it's overbearing. Like it's an induction. You know, that's how I kind of feel about it. Like we are Brad and Janet. Like. Our, everything <laughs> about us has been stripped down and we're just being, or at least at the time I first saw it, just exposed to an entire world I didn't really know existed like yeah. like this. Like, I was into horror and science fiction, but I'd never seen anything like this and especially nothing like Tim Curry before.
1: Yeah, I mean, even, like, yeah, so even though I feel that way, I think that's more, like, I wonder if I saw this as a as the musical if I saw this on stage.
2: Oh yeah yeah if
1: I would feel differently because I think I think for me it has uh, more to do with not the actual content or the acting because that's kind of spectacular and more to do with like the way that it's actually put together. Mm-hmm. It's just very very easy to get lost in. Mm-hmm. there's just too it's too many things it never breathes like you never have a chance to catch up to it almost mm-hmm. once it gets going. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I've forgotten how sort of fast-paced it is. Like, I was at first going to just sort of write down every time a song started, but then I was like, wait a second.
1: <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you like can – Too so many songs. <laughs> it's
2: almost entirely sang, this movie. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. almost, it's more something. like an opera or something.
1: Yeah. Which, which I have no problem with. But, like, right. something about the way that it is sung or the way that it's structured – I couldn't pay attention to, like, half of the words in most of the (laughs) songs. That also just could be me in the way that I receive information. That could be my own problem.
2: I have have problems with that, too, in musicals at times when songs are exposition heavy also. And they don't repeat enough or something. And there's also definitely times when they're not singing and they're not explaining things. They're just sort of, you know, like cracking jokes or double entendres or they're just teasing each other, you know? So it doesn't help that when they're not singing, they're not really explaining what's really happening (laughs) either.
0: Yeah, before I sat down to watch it, I like read the plot summary on the Wikipedia article. I was like, I don't remember any of this. Uh, Because when I tried to like think about like what the plot was, I was like, I don't know like a couple squares show up to a castle full of weirdos and then (laughs) there's a golden god and then they swim and everyone looks great in thigh high fishnets and that's all i (laughs) that's all i can remember
1: Everyone does look great, amazing,
2: right? Everyone like looks incredible. Great. Like I, I remember, Susan
1: the Serenin's boobs are like <laughs> incredible. Oh,
2: <laughs> I, she looks so much uh, like Betty Davis in this movie. Oh yeah, just, she like, really does. Creeping me out almost. I was like, this is. This is weird, but um, I remember the first time I saw Columbia sitting on top of a jukebox in that golden tuxedo. I love that costume. I, so, yeah. like, I definitely changed that day. <laughs> like, I didn't realize like what was possible until I. I was like, okay, now I'm like completely like blown away. <laughs> it's like possible. Yeah. Out there. Um it's just like she just jumped off the screen it's just like uh, like a cartoon character come to life or something it was just crazy.
0: Yeah, I um I dyed my hair the color of Magenta's hair for like 5 years. And mm-hmm. I forgot <laughs> that that was the reason why.
3: <laughs> Until I
0: watched this and I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. First of all, I forgot I had hair that color for that long." And then second of all, like, this is where I got the idea for it.
2: I definitely now with like Halloween coming up and considering like a riffraff costume or something. Well, that maybe like they'll have like a Halloween showing uh, down mm. the street in town that I'll go to. I don't know. But like, it's definitely watching this definitely, you know, I'm already love Halloween, but it just gets me so much more into the spirit because it's you know such a show like it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show like it's right in the title like it's almost as if these people know they're being filmed or something like Mm -hmm. like they're putting on a show for Brad and Janet but it's really the audience and um, even Tim Curry like looks at the camera a few times and, and like gives a winking nod or something like that and it's just terrific like even if I don't always understand what's happening or you know it's overstuffed and it's just you know, at times just pure madness, like, it doesn't matter, like, I love it, it, <laughs> it it kind of reminds me, and this might sound crazy, but we just recorded an episode for Atomic Blonde on the Watch the Throne, on the uh, Watch the Throne podcast, and, like, that movie is basically, like, uh, a standard, like, spy film, but then, like, totally, like, stylized in this, like, soaked in neon sort of, like amazing like electricity like the mm-hmm. way it's shot and this is like someone was just like I'm going to remake Frankenstein and then <laughs> like this is what happened like it was it's basically just Frankenstein's monster you know like he creates mm-hmm. a monster but it's from the mind of a guy you know who's steeped in like this culture that is not part of the mainstream so that when it comes out like this it takes everybody sort of by surprise like It's hard just not to look at this. Yeah, I I was thinking
0: about how, I mean, it was mind-blowing to us, like, as kids, but can you imagine how mind-blowing it would have been to, like, people in 1975?
1: Yeah, right? Like...
2: That's something I was considering this time. Like, I feel like the culture today would be way more into this and accepting of it and may not even think that oh, it's yeah. all that crazy you know no
0: i mean in a, like a world where we have rupaul's drag race yeah you know, think mm-hmm. things you know right. and that's just like one example um but yeah i mean it just is a completely different culture that we live in the, you know like glam rock was a thing but that's that's but about this it is so
1: <laughs> beyond that yeah right yeah it,
2: yeah, you figure Bowie, um, is most people's sort of, like, mm-hmm. reference for Glamrock, and it's, like, because he's David F.M. Bowie, you know, like, it's because he's, he was basically, like, a god, like, you, you know, like, I don't, I, and, but yet yeah, he was still sort of what the mainstream knew about it. This is, like, the deep, sort of, underground layer, <laughs> the, like, you know, you dig a little deeper into Glamrock, and then this is where you get, um sort of behind the public eye or something, more behind yeah. closed doors sort of sort of feel.
0: Yeah, uh, they actually, in the stage production that preceded the movie, uh, they had the actors do their own makeup, which often happens in theater because you're working with small budgets. But for the movie, they actually got um, the... Pierre LaRoche, who had previously been a makeup artist for people like Mick Jagger and David Bowie, um, to redesign makeup for each character. And he's actually responsible for the Bowie lightning bolt makeup.
2: Oh, the, like the Ziggy Stardust? Yeah. Like the eye?
0: Yep. So like Hmm. between that and then like the costumes, which are incredible. Um, and apparently I, so I was reading a lot about the costume designer who said that, um, she like didn't do any research when she was designing the costume i love that i love I that too. That. <laughs> that's uh even though i'm like an obsessive researcher i just think that that's awesome that she was able to kind of like cobble this stuff together a lot of which um i mean she she in her own book is attributed to like um Basically, giving the punk movement their style. Uh, I don't know if oh. anyone's actually verified yeah. that information. It's a little suspect coming from her own. But book. isn't that? But, but.
1: didn't like because I read that. But like, didn't? I don't believe that. I don't like, really didn't believe that. it style come from like. Oh, God, I can't remember their names. There's, um. um, The people who worked with the Sex Pistols.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like Malcolm McLaren. Uh,
1: Yeah, and like Vivian Westwood. Like, isn't that where that came from? Well, so.
2: (laughs) It seems like they watched this movie. Oh, for sure. And
1: I mean,. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That leather jacket that
0: Frankenfurter wears at one point, I'm like, Jesus. Like, that. My. Like,. I knew Mm -hmm. people who had that like exact same jacket in high school Um, but the um, things that are like specifically attributed to her are ripped fishnet stockings which I did wear as a teenager Uh, glitter and colored hair were all like directly attributed to mm -hmm. Rocky Horror
2: I had green hair in, yeah uh, when i was a junior dyed again. yeah green, but, um. i
1: had i had every color hair you did too my at one hair point. started to break off of my head oh my god my the same thing happened to me really yeah the same person? so <laughs> weird yeah
2: on the <laughs> um up all the time on the uh, the costume note i mean obviously aside from columbia's you know tuxedo but you know the the party guests right mm-hmm. um They used to, and they still do to a degree, creep the hell out of me. (laughs) I think they're supposed to be aliens, right? Yeah. I don't. Right? They're Transylvanians and stuff. Yeah. So, but that to me is like the scariest part—the idea that they're just kind of standing up on, you know, looking at them at the lab, and they're always just sort of onlookers, and that whole like voyeuristic sort of mentality of it and everything—they just creep me out. But I love it. I love it. I don't know. It's like one of those weird sort of nightmares things like that pop into my head once in a while but i like it i don't know it's crazy oh.
1: i agree with you that i think they're the weirdest part but i don't think i like it <laughs> why not a little too creepy it's, yeah it's like a little too like culty mm, that okay. yeah. although it it didn't occur to me that they were aliens until you just said that and that helps a little bit <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah because I didn't even pick up on that until like one, uh, two or three viewings to be honest because there's so much to absorb in this movie like the music alone I remember I owned the soundtrack and used to l- listen to it in the car you know back when there were tape decks in the car and stuff like in the 90s but um, there's so much to absorb I didn't even pick up on the whole like planet transylvania or the galaxy transsexual like all that i i just thought they were talking about you know uh europe like the first time i saw this like i didn't even realize um like it took place in the american deep south like and that it's like partially sort of like a commentary on you know all of those sort of repressed sexual Mm -hmm. you know feelings that go along with whatever and happening down in the South and not just the South, but America in general and the mainstream and everything. So it's crazy how every time I watch this, I'm, I'm picking up on new, new things.
0: Yeah. The, the costume designer also, I'm going to try and find this quote because I thought it was hilarious. Um, here it is. She said, when I designed Rocky, I never looked at any science fiction movies or comic books. One just automatically knows what a spacesuit looks like the same way one intuitively knows how Americans dress I had never been to the United States but I had this fixed (laughs) idea of how people looked there Americans wore polyester so their clothes wouldn't crease and their trousers were always a bit too short and since they're very keen on sports white socks and white t-shirts played an integral role in their wardrobe of course since doing Rocky I have been to the United States and admit it is a bit of a generalization but my ideas worked perfectly for Brad and Janet I just think that's hilarious
1: that's what I love, that she was like, I didn't do any research, and I got it right. Good job, me. <laughs> yeah,
2: that, <laughs> like, that's awesome, but, though. <laughs> it. Yeah. Well,
1: and, like, on top of that, that, like, her no research, and, like, people, like, mimicked it, like, mm. right away, you it, know? It
2: became, like, a standard, right? Like, yeah. I remember, um, like, Meatloaf's jacket, right? He's got, like, a leather jacket, and he's got, like, leopard like skin on the lapels Mm -hmm. and stuff like my friends and i did that to our leather jackets in high school and and we had like you know sheriff stars and things like that hanging off and yeah definitely um she changed things for sure like this is a stylistic marvel yeah i love those uh aliens like when when um, riffraff and uh, magenta are in their actual spacesuits at the end unbelievable just gorgeous
0: yeah, there's really like not a single costume in this where I'm like, mm, I kind of phoned that one in, even though she totally did kind of phone it in.
2: <laughs> well, it's great that Brad's just walking around in underwear for the like and same with Rocky basically. Like Yeah. It's kind of phoning it in, but it's also like making it work. Like, you
0: know what? I hadn't picked up on before. They, the makeup artist actually created a little plug for Rocky's belly button so that it was smooth instead of having a, a belly button since he was a creation of Frankenfurter and not actually a human. fetus.
2: Oh. I never so- noticed that. Yeah. Very smart.
0: And they did it all on a $1,600 costume budget. That's like <laughs> no money. I mean, it's not, but you can do a lot with sixteen hundred dollars, I think, like especially in the seventies.
2: You just yeah, you don't get true. to make duplicates, right? You just everything is a one off. And well, they <laughs> actually did now. have to do duplicates for oh.
0: like specifically for the pool scene because they would have to have like one version of the corsets drying while the others were being worn on set.
2: Oh wow! Because um, I totally was watching that, going like these people are suffering for their art because it's just in this they're soaking and they're smiling and they're kicking really high and they're just trying to do <laughs> I this i love that know? scene so much <laughs> oh, I, it's amazing. Well,
1: that might be my favorite part yeah i
0: think it's my favorite part um but the like castle or like the mansion that they filmed in was kind of in disrepair and it was like freezing in there they had no heat no bathrooms and uh susan sarandon told the studio heads uh about it and they told her she was complaining too much but then she got pneumonia after filming the pool scene and according to richard o'brien she was shaking with fever and should have been under medical supervision but refused to stop working there was a a warm room that they created in the cat in the uh estate uh, that was filled with space heaters um but then the room caught on fire so (laughs) too
3: warm too warm warm. (laughs)
2: oh man
1: okay here's my question for you kara mm-hmm. there's there's this is a little bit rapey oh there's two yeah. little bit rapey I parts down
0: um oh wow
1: that's rape right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay good because that's also what i thought um and and that i don't know that was the only part of this to me that i was like oh no no yeah uh That was
0: interesting to watch as an adult because what happens is Frank and Furter sneaks into both um, Brad and – or Janet's room first and then Brad's room uh, disguised as their uh, significant other. each other. right? First Um, he's disguised as Brad and then he's disguised as – Right. And so he's welcomed into their beds thinking that he's somebody else and they begin to engage in sexual activity and then they realize that it's actually dr frankenfurter and both of them protest and then they are like "Mm, okay they
1: give him pretty (laughs) bad yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: so yeah yeah, i have a lot of uh mixed feelings about that scene uh you
2: you guys missed the other one you didn't you didn't catch the other well i mean it's not on screen but it's definitely implied that um after he builds Rocky and he kills Meatloaf that he takes Rocky to bed mm-hmm. and the next shot of him is like Rocky laying on his stomach like with his legs spread from the back like sleeping and stuff so mm-hmm. like he certainly had his way like he just built Rocky to, to do that. Right. Which right. Which is yeesh.
0: Yeah. I, an automaton can't consent. Mm. So.
2: It's the horror show part of it you know like I don't like it but again <laughs> yeah. like you know th- you have to be reminded that this guy isn't a good person like he's not a person at all he's an alien but like you know right. you have to be reminded like these are evil people like what they're doing because god damn when they start singing and dancing and all that shit like you really <laughs> like, just totally to party. yeah you just yeah. want to fucking party down with them but like he's chopping up people and feeding them to you and like mm-hmm. you know like this guy is a demon for real like
1: i also didn't get that that's what they were eating until i read about it afterwards mm-hmm.
2: That they're- yeah, hey, he like, I just checked out. throws yeah. the big uh, like sheet off the table, and it's the coffin filled with like a half the half remains. Oh,
1: you know what? I do remember that. I blocked it out because it was gross.
2: <laughs> yeah, because everything is such like a great time, but it, you know it's not. Everything is just disguised as a as a good time, but what's really going on is like very dark. Like, mm-hmm. look at Brad and Janet. Like they're kidnapped basically. They're <laughs> like knock on the wrong and door, they're, and they're like, not allowed to leave. Like-
1: very okay with it
2: though well they're
1: like they come also
2: around. very sort of 50s naive representations right. of like people and stuff so it's definitely yeah, a that's satire true. and they're just
1: like trying to be polite and stuff mm-hmm.
2: yeah
0: but so to circle back around to the oh wow that's rape um oh, yep. it's so I, I don't like the way that they did that. But if you think about it in context, this is 1975. It's like the sexual revolution is in full swing. And so a lot of people of brad and janet's generation where these like uptight squares who had all of these ideas about morality and sexuality and that sort of thing and how we express our gender and our sexual interest in people um and then they come to this castle and kind of get their minds blown among other things and <laughs> uh then i mean i i kind of really love the bisexual representation in this movie and like
1: no i do too you know
0: and also like the the way that janet finds out that like oh she really likes sex and she wants to Mm -hmm. have more of it you know right um so like there are those things mixed in with it that make me like want to be super on board with it and then i'm like ooh, but because like her song
2: with rocky i feel like that's that's solid right when Mm -hmm. you know the touch me touch me touch me um
1: that seems consensual yeah
2: like that seems like the right the right way to represent what they're trying to say whereas the stuff with frankenfurter sneaking into their bed just seems like a little like off key or like you know what i'm saying like kind of like a sour note like i get what Mm -hmm. they're saying but they're kind of implying like something else in my mind right but
0: also different time (laughs) you know like uh you know, that sort of thing. Uh, like, if if somebody did that and then you pri- tried to press charges against them, like, you wouldn't be able to, you know? So, like, legally... I, not that that makes it okay, but just, like, again, like, within the context of, like, when this movie was made, it's, like, still actually very progressive in a lot of ways. Um, I
1: don't even understand how this...
2: Got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right with you there on that one because yeah. Well, it
0: happened ah. in England, I think. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, is that part mm-hmm. of it? yeah, that's it is. a huge that's right. huge part of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. that this was that not an American movie. Uh it was super low budget. They could have made it, they had the opportunity to make it with a much larger budget um if they cast stars in their roles uh huh. and they actually turned down the big budget so that they could make it with people who had been in the original play and then made um, a compromise that they would cast uh, somewhat known American actors as Brad Mm. and Janet. Um,
2: Uh, Was Susan Sarandon known at the time? I don't know if she was
0: like a big star but I I think she had been in some things. Yeah this
1: was like her fifth movie so I didn't like look really deep into what the movies before this was but this was definitely at the beginning of her career.
2: Now surprisingly enough I had actually known Tim Curry. Growing up as a little kid, because yeah. I used to like rent videos where he would he was like a children's star almost or yep. something, yeah. And yeah, like I he definitely
0: would... knew him before mm-hmm. this as something else, but this was Wait, his first like movie. role.
2: Uh, so um, I used to get these videos called Unicorn Tales, I think they were called uh-huh. or something like that, yeah. And they were just like re retelling of like famous um, like fairy tales. And if uh, I think that was the name of them, but like Robin Williams was like the frog prince and things like that. And, like, Tim Curry, I think, like, hosted them or was in one. I can't remember, you know, it was way, it was, like, five or six years old. Like, Mm -hmm. we're going way back. Mm -hmm. But, like, I had known him. I I'd known, like, who he was and was familiar with him. I I got a mistaken with Freddie Mercury for a few years. But other than that, (laughs) like, I knew about him. I can see that,
0: yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, he was in Annie. He played Rooster Hannigan. Yep, yep. He was in Clue as Wadsworth. Um, yeah, I saw a Clue in, after this, yeah. Okay. He was in, what were the other things? Um, I
2: forgot he was in Annie. Oh, wow. And Bernadette Peters, right? Mm-hmm. Was like his yeah. sister or something, yeah. Uh,
0: he was the voice of Hexas in Ferngully, which is a movie that we definitely need to do on this Who's podcast. Who's Hexis? The scary, like, oil thing.
3: Monster. Oh, okay,
2: yeah. yep. So, um, speaking of just, if I may I interrupt for just a moment, because mm-hmm. you you hit something that's that just made me think of something like Tim Curry doing voiceover, just seems perfect to me. Yeah. Uh, and if I may, can can I can I let out my Frankenfurter impression? Oh, by all means, yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not sure if it's gonna come across that well, but <clears throat> you've got to sort of do it like this, or maybe like that but give it a try. I don't know. (laughs) I've been on an impression tear across the network lately, so (laughs) catch me on Kyle's show doing Charlton Heston impressions, Cinemakers doing Pacino impressions. uh. But uh, I always used to try and talk like Tim Curry for some reason, but I don't know.
0: Well so I um had listened to he was on Fresh Air in 2005 with Terry Gross uh and it's a wonderful wonderful interview highly recommend taking a listen it was right uh I guess as spam a lot was uh happening and he said that he, he like during for the stage play he had played Frankenfurter German like with a German accent um and then f- one day he was like on the bus and heard uh a woman talking in like an extremely posh British accent, saying like, Do you have a home in the country or in the city? <laughs> or like something like that, you know, something very British. Um, and then he realized that like, oh, he should sound like the Queen. So he <laughs> took perfect. Yeah, he took that very specific royal accent and kind of mixed it a little bit with his own mother's accent. And like oh. that was how he came up with the voice for Frankenfurter for the movie
2: because frankenfurter definitely thinks he's like the queen of everything uh-huh like, yes. yeah absolutely yeah uh, That's so great i also love Riff raps voice mm-hmm. uh harry kind of does the little thing with it and stuff he reminds me a lot of love um oh he reminds me of like a oh, the guy oh man alan is it alan rickman it kind yeah. of sounds like alan rickman right yeah, yeah. kind of that's what um, was in my head the whole time i was like damn that's such a great great accent
0: yeah your riffraff is a, a much stronger impression <laughs> thank you uh but he was also in oh i just had it in front of me and then i scrolled past it oh he was in home alone too lost in new york he plays a concierge at the hotel um, oh that's
2: right as is our current president has a mm, walk-on cameo yeah. in that same hotel
0: he was on uh Tales from the Crypt at least. He did like it looks episode. like
1: like almost exclusively voices in kids' shows. No, not necessarily for like many years. For many
0: years, yeah. Oh, he was on dinosaurs.
2: <laughs> Wait, the not knock the mama that I one like the, think with, so, the pink, yeah. with the pink with the pink baby dinosaur. I used to love that show. You should, should watch too. We should watch that.
1: I <laughs> bet it's not good at all. Uh,
0: maybe it's not bad. Mm. I don't know. He I'm was sure. uh, he did voice as of King Acorn on the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, cartoon.
2: Um,
0: oh, and he was in Congo, and for some reason I loved that oh. movie as a kid
2: that's that's which
0: one is congo uh they like go to the congo and there's like (laughs) gorillas and stuff
2: it's got like ernie hudson's in it and um yeah they get to like these ancient ruins and there's like a volcano and oh there's a gorilla that does sign language and um she her like glove translates it Uh into english so like she'll she'll sign something and be like amy hungry hungry amy oh
1: with amy yeah i've seen that yep Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, he played Long John
0: Silver in Muppet Treasure Island.
2: Oh. Okay. He was on
0: Captain Planet. All
2: right, I missed that
0: Mal. one. He, apparently, he was like a Hal-like computer
2: called Mal. <laughs> I don't think you want to do that, David.
1: <laughs> he, he seems like he. Is a very excellent stage actor. Yes. Like yeah. I'm gonna let's see what else has he
0: been in. Let's oh, he's see. been he's I think he's done yeah. like mostly I feel like that's acting. probably his jam, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um and um, recently unfortunately he did suffer a stroke but yeah I he, saw that um I if I'm not mistaken didn't he play like the professor part in the Rocky Horror TV <laughs> so version
0: or something? He was the criminologist the guy that's who it. is. Like, Which I completely forgot was even in the movie, uh, who is breaking the fourth wall and, like, t- is the narrator, basically, for the story. Which I think mm-hmm. is a missed opportunity to have him, because the professor uses a wheelchair. And, like, why not use an actor who actually uses a wheelchair in that part, right?
2: Oh, good call. Yeah, maybe he didn't just have the strength. I think he's kind of getting up there. Mm. Age, yeah, he's, but... like,
0: 78, I think. So he's pretty old. It's great um, that he's
2: contributed at all, too. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. An interesting thing about the the wheelchair use in this movie, it's never really, like, they don't really make a big deal out of it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And it's important representation for non-paralyzed wheelchair users, I think. Because <laughs> the majority of people who use wheelchairs aren't paralyzed. However, mm-hmm. a lot, I think the, like, popular conception of people who use wheelchairs is that they use them because the lower half of their body doesn't work, right? Right. Um, and so in this movie you have the professor doing high kicks in the wheelchair. And I just, I love <laughs> that. I really enjoyed it.
2: It made me think of Doctor Strangelove. Have either of you seen Yeah. That?
0: Well, not in a long time. Yeah, also not in a long time.
2: But, but. but the, the titular character Doctor Strangelove is, is in a wheelchair but doesn't necessarily, like, isn't his, it's not that his legs don't work he's in it mm-hmm. for like other reasons and stuff but it gave, i definitely got a sense of that when he started doing like high kicks in this i was like oh he doesn't need it or like it's not because like he needs it but it's mm-hmm. not because his legs kind of right yeah Crazy.
0: there was um i noticed some nazi stuff in this movie some I really not Wait, some up you mean
2: i mean the 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 flag flying over their house, like, gave it away from me, like, immediately. I was like, you've got a black flag with a white circle and a black lightning bolt through it. I was like, that feels like the Stasi. I
0: did not pick up on that until, um, I guess, the lab scene. He's, like, the surgical gown that he's wearing has Mm -hmm. a red triangle on it um, which was used uh, by the nazis to identify their homosexual prisoners it was usually an upside down pink triangle um, which was then repurposed by the gay liberation movement um, and turned right side up i guess yeah Uh, like
2: the triangle right it's now like kind of a symbol yeah and and
0: uh, like most iconically Used, I think, probably by Act Up, the um, activism group in their "Silence Uh-oh. Equals Death" campaign. That's probably where most people have seen it the most. Um, so I like picked up on that. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that fits in, you know, with what's what's going on here. And then um, after he reveals Rocky, who is kind of an Aryan ideal mm-hmm. man. Um, Magenta says, uh, "It's a triumph of your will," like which is a, a reference what? to the Lenny yep. Riefenstahl
1: movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was like,
1: I didn't put one on any
0: of it. Yeah, and I wrote down, "Oh no, is Magenta a Nazi?" Oh yep. no. Yeah, but I don't like. I, well, she, it, she's an
2: alien, but it's, yeah. the sa- it's the same social structure, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just it was well, interesting. And if
1: Frankenfurter was originally German. German too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, not that I'm saying like that this is like has like Nazi messages to it. I think it's actually oh, no, kind yeah. of the opposite.
2: Right. They're um, taking the piss out of the Nazis in this. Right. Sure. And they're saying like, look how ridiculous you look. I think. Exactly.
0: And th- this was only 30 years after world war II and after the Holocaust. Um, mm-hmm. So like th- that, w- like that stuff being in there is definitely not at all an accident. Um, that's
1: so, that's such a different context to think about yeah. Like having it that close. Yeah. For sure,
3: yeah.
2: So. Yeah, and I mean, you it, <laughs> know, it's nuts. There's so that's the thing about this movie, though. Like, there's there is real sort of depth to it if you mm-hmm. want to look for it. You know, like it's not just this like S and M bondage like celebration, but it is it is that. Like mm-hmm. it is that, of course. But I mean, it's just, they're able to treat it as satire as well as be sincere it's crazy like it's almost meta but not along the way we know it today of like refer- like self-referential like just obvious stuff but like like I said earlier like Tim Curry does look at the camera like two or three times and like kind of gives a wink like you're following this like can you believe what we're doing kind of looks mm-hmm. I feel so there is definitely that vibe going on there that I I, I was not always quite aware of.
0: Yeah, and it just, it struck me because we just did Grease and kind of had the same sort of realizations that, like, there's all of this stuff in the movie that was referencing all of this other stuff.
2: That Um, clicked so hard for me when I heard you guys say, like, Grease is maybe a parody or something of, like, 50s Greaser films, like. As an adult, I see that perfectly because as mm-hmm. a kid, I just thought Greece was hilarious. Like, I just thought it was so funny, <laughs> like effortlessly funny. But now I realize it's sort of like the scary movie of its time or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine with that. That's cool. It's yeah. still a lot of fun.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and, I mean, in, in this case, it's drawing most heavily, I guess, on like the science fiction and horror movies of the kind of early Half of the twentieth century, um, like the
2: opening song says it all, right? Like yeah. they mention like seven or eight, like not just actors and actresses, but like movie titles and stuff, like everything from Faye Ray* and *King Kong* to like *When Worlds Collide* and *The Man with X-Ray Eyes* and stuff, and like Claude Rains and everything. So, it it feels like that's why i feel like it's like a genuine send up instead of like they're make they're not making fun they're having fun it's like much more like a camp kind of thing yeah um, for sure be, yeah cuz that's um, their influence there yeah
0: yeah and the the big old house that they filmed it in called oakley court um is actually was actually used in a number of hammer films which were um a lot of those old really schlocky uh, horror movies f- that came out of Britain from that time.
2: A lot of them starring, like, Peter Cushing mm-hmm. as, as like, Frankenstein or, like, Sherlock Holmes and stuff. And um, Christopher Lee played Dracula, like, a hundred times for the Hammer Horror films and stuff. Like, just really, like, look a lot like this. Like, the dining room and the hallway just drenched in that gothic atmosphere. Right. Really cool. Like, cobwebs on everything.
0: yeah. And also um, drawing in the beginning of the film on uh, American Gothic, the painting, because you actually have uh, riffraff and magenta like standing there like the man and the woman in that painting, which I don't think I had picked up on as a teen.
2: Yeah, I knew the imagery because I think we all kind of just know that It's Mm -hmm. it's such a famous painting. But I didn't even catch, like, I didn't catch that on first viewing, and then I didn't catch that, like, most of the people at the wedding are the weirdos from the party.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: there's a lot of those, like, going on. And then the American Gothic painting is in the mansion, like, when he opens the clock and the skeleton falls out of it, or he, like, brushes Which is skeleton. a real
0: skeleton, by the way. Oh. Uh, oh. The skeleton <laughs> of the woman who commissioned the clock. How fun is that?
2: She, what? She was buried in her own clock?
0: Yeah, isn't that amazing? And why
2: why isn't that hungry. movie coming out this summer? Right? <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: Yeah, that was a fun, fun fact to learn.
2: Um, but that whole American Gothic, like, Southern Gothic stuff, like, that, that stuff I love, too, just mm-hmm. the atmosphere of that, like, that came back in a big way with, like, True Detective Season 1, in a, mm-hmm. in a way, just, like, getting into the weirdness of the Deep South, and also, like, it's kind of crazy, this is sort of, like, a British take on America, and they ended up sort of, like, setting it there, I don't know, it's kind of cool, I, like, that about it, that they targeted the South instead of, like, L.A. or New York or something like that because of, you know, and I guess it is true to to a degree that the South is an easier target, um, mm-hmm. so I guess there is that. But.
1: Kara, did you happen to look at, um, what like, so I know that some stuff was added from the stage version to the movie. Mm-hmm. Did you look at what? No, I mean, I
0: did, but I didn't um, copy it into my notes. <laughs> cuz i was like nah that's
1: not important but well then it must not have been like super different
0: yeah i mean there were just you know some minor changes some songs were added and stuff um the accent change that i mentioned costume changes i think uh so like columbia's sequined costume was created for the film magenta had not been in a made costume previously uh, Magenta played more than one character for the stage. I can't believe this stuff is still in my head. Um, she, <laughs> <laughs> she played like a uh, usher who would sing the science fiction double feature song. Mm. Um, and those are her lips, but not her voice. That's actually Richard, Richard O'Brien singing in the opening.
2: Yeah, I I um yeah. I heard that she they weren't going to let her sing the song and she's like, "Well then I'm not going to be in the movie." And then they're like, "Well just come down and look at the set." And she took one look at the set, she's like, "All right, I'll do whatever you want." <laughs> like I got to be involved in this. It doesn't matter. And then so at the end, I think it made it they said it might even been the last day of shooting. They had her come in and and do the lip-syncing thing cuz it's it's the you know, it's the most they could have done for her mm-hmm. to to be able to sort of like honor that.
0: Yeah, um, and the other thing, the one other thing that was kind of interesting uh, for the stage production, the same actor would play Eddie and the professor because the professor is supposed to be his uncle, so oh. they need they theoretically need to look alike. And so uh, Meatloaf was real bummed that he didn't get to also play the professor because he had played Eddie slash the professor in the Los Angeles stage version. Um, I thought that he was in this movie a lot more, but he shows yeah. up, sings a song, and then gets murdered again.
1: <laughs> yeah, he really only has one scene. Yeah.
0: It's, I totally thought yeah. he was in more.
2: It's too bad he didn't get to play his own uncle because like, you know, if you've seen Fight Club, like he's a really good actor or he can be a really good actor. He's like a natural. Mm-hmm. He's a natural performer. I mean
1: He's fun to watch, yeah. yeah. I uh
2: I grew up with a lot of meatloaf playing around the house, believe it or not. Like my mom just loved those bad out of hell albums like they're just always <laughs> they are classics
1: for
0: a reason
2: <laughs> exactly so i'm i was familiar with uh mr uh, mr oday is it milo Faday? i believe is his real name or something oh, really? um but yes more would have would have been better from him yeah, the eddie the eddie stuff is just like um it's just like a it just comes out of nowhere and then it's over immediately and you're just like what just happened what yeah. where, what like <laughs>
0: Uh, this is the second Meatloaf movie that we've done on this podcast. Also the second Richard O'Brien movie. Jordan, can you name that movie that we also did on Whistle Thinking? Absolutely
1: not. I've seen Meatloaf in something else for this podcast. (laughs) Yes, you have. I hate that this is happening now. There's like so many things you keep bringing up that I'm like, oh, I've seen that. (laughs) Okay, let me think. Let me think. Meatloaf i've seen meatloaf and something else that's not fight club because we haven't done fight club for this no mike would you like to take a guess
2: okay was it the (laughs) same they were (laughs) both in the same movie
0: yeah wow really Mm mm-hmm it's one of my
1: favorites it's one of your. Favorite. Spice World? Yes. Was it Spice World? Ding, ding, ding.
3: <laughs> you
0: got it.
1: <laughs> oh, um, that's right. Meatloaf was the He plays the bus. bus driver. Yeah. And
0: then Richard O'Brien plays the paparazzi photographer who, like, sneaks oh, out it the Oh, that makes
2: toilet. so much yeah. sense. Of course. Only, only Spice World would have, like,. A reunion from rocky horror picture show to some capacity <laughs> like, yeah that's amazing
1: oh and do you know what if you google spice world rocky horror picture show is one of the suggested movies mm-hmm. that comes up next to it and now hmm. i understand why <laughs> and
0: i actually when i was looking at the wikipedia article before i watched rocky horror this time around i noticed that richard o'brien's name Like, I had clicked on it in the past, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't know who that is. And I clicked on him, and then it was, like, a more recent photograph where he looks more like the guy that he plays in Spice World, and I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) So I didn't even remember. But, yeah, that's a fun fun thing. Ooh, um, do you know who uh, the studio's first choice was to play Eddie? Mm. At least according to Meatloaf. The Gospel of Meatloaf.
2: Um, mm. John Goodman, only because they kind of look like.
0: <laughs> that's a good guess, but that's not him.
1: No. Freddie Mercury.
0: Also would have been great, but no. <laughs> I, although I feel like Freddie Mercury would have been a great Frankenfurter. That is also true. I was just
1: yeah. trying to think of like some other like, grand rock. And
2: like, like. Riff Raff kind of. I mean, he doesn't look like Bowie, but I could mm. see Bowie maybe oh, doing sure. something like Riff Raff or yeah. something.
1: Get
0: that Labyrinth wig back on.
2: <laughs> my goblin friends I
1: don't know who
0: Elvis Presley Whoa! wait wasn't he dead by then uh, no he died in 1978 and I know that because he died the day that they shot the sleepover scene in Greece
2: oh that's right I heard that on the Greece cast your brain is filled with weird
0: connections now no, and but, oh. I can't remember my own name wait most of the cause time, didn't so they, that's what I'm thinking
2: face. didn't they want Elvis to play Danny yeah, he and then he Wait, was already cause dead. Wait, because
1: we, <laughs> right, cause we just it. talked about this too. Though is that like they wanted like Elvis At, twenty years before right. that to play? Yeah, Kane. they modeled <laughs> like, Danny after. Elvis. Right. Danny like, is
2: sort of like a like a riff on Elvis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. I couldn't imagine like last last days Elvis in Greece trying like <laughs> to very <laughs> different Greece, movie Bruce Latin hold on a second hold
1: on <laughs> Wait, and he would he would be supposed to be a high schooler too no yeah. he'd
2: need to be like you know the phys ed coach like the Sid Caesar yeah to yeah. Elvis
0: or even um the pedophile at the school dance oh, oh. the talk show ho- or the, the yeah.
2: show host the host, yeah, host hits on Marnie yeah <laughs> I think um, I think that movie Grease because I saw it so young it was the first time I saw nudity in a film because of the the blue moon scene mm. when they moon the TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's how young I was when I saw Grease.
0: Uh, more meatloaf and Rich- Richard O'Brien facts. Richard O'Brien was concerned that meatloaf might not be able to handle. that one number Hoppatootie bless my soul which is another favorite of mine actually I think all of these songs are my favorite song in the movie because every single Mm -hmm. one I was like oh no this is my favorite (laughs) another one wouldn't happen but anyway did they um,
2: uh, like who wrote this the book to this was it the same guy who wrote the story and everything like did this all just come out of him
0: no I think somebody else might have done the actual music right, i'm not there's,
2: sure. i mean there's i actually some... didn't read about the music that meatloaf song i swear it's it sounds so like good. it seems like like but it feels like elton john wrote it or something yeah. like, the music in this is just that good it's incredible
0: yeah it really is um but so he was concerned that meatloaf might not be able to handle it because he uh I guess in the stage production, no one had ever actually managed to sing the whole thing correctly. Um, And so he brought out the music and handed it to Meatloaf. And he said, it's it's okay if you flub a few lines. No one in London ever managed to sing this. And so Meatloaf looked at it and he was like, what's the problem? And then he sang the whole thing without skipping a beat.
2: Whoa. Mr. Paradise by the Dashboard Light Mm -hmm. right there, man. Yeah. I love how he looked at it and he's like, I don't see the problem. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What a pro.
0: Yeah, yeah. truly. Um, he, Meatloaf also said, apparently Meatloaf is like the only like cast member who's actually like done a lot of like interviews about this for various reasons. But um, he said that preparations for the motorcycle scene saw several accidents on set. His stuntman drove the motorcycle through the scene, including the up and down, uh, the the ramps and the bike fell off the top tier and landed upside down pinning the stuntman underneath it and meatloaf ran over and somehow managed to be the hero of this story by uh mustering enough strength to lift the heavy bike off of him just enough so he could move uh and the stuntman didn't move for some time but eventually opened his eyes and told everyone he was okay and later told him that that is actually an old stuntman trick to make sure you're not suffering any pain or serious injuries before you move because your spinal cord could be in danger um but they also needed to get shots of meatloaf riding the bike up and down the ramps so the crew rigged up this wheelchair that would hold a set of handlebars and a motorcycle windshield in front of the camera as the crew pulled it up and down the steps but um, when they're in the middle of shooting the wheelchair hit a ridge at the bottom of the steps which sent him flying (laughs) uh, and shattered both the camera and the windshield and his stuntman tried to catch him but in the process the ramp like caught his leg and he suffered a serious fracture and meatloaf also suffered a deep cut on his head but i was unable to verify whether that's the cut we see in the movie like the the actual cut on his forehead yeah i'm not sure if that was makeup or real that would be cool if that's a real cut but
2: yeah wow that's like a crazy Motorcycle stunt story. <laughs> a all lot motorcycle
0: stunt stories are crazy motorcycle. They, stories. Yeah,
2: what a right. That's right. Yeah, too many words in that sentence. Just <laughs> great. uh Wow. Yeah, I never driven a motorcycle. They seem. They've always seemed too dangerous to get yeah. out me. For They're my like. <laughs> I was on a
1: motorcycle one time when I hated every second of it. Although I think that if I was on one now, I would love it. Mm-hmm. But I definitely thought That's
0: I was fine. gonna die ten years ago when I was on one. <laughs> there's a funeral home like around the corner from me and I noticed that when they have their garage door open, there's a motorcycle in there. And I find that really interesting because I feel oh. like if you're dealing with dead bodies huh. a lot, a lot of those bodies are gonna be motorcycle accidents. You know? Interesting. So it's I'm
2: it's for some reason my mind went to motorcycle hearse. Um. Okay. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right. like, I don't know what that would be, but, like, towing the coffin behind you somehow? <laughs> that
0: sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, uh, apparently Vincent Price was actually offered the role of the criminologist slash narrator, yeah. but had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts, which is very unfortunate, because I would he love to been see great. that. great. Yeah. Apparently he was very interested in the role, because he had seen it, um the stage play and loved it
2: yeah this seems like it would be like definitely his sensibilities like that's funny you mentioned it because it kind of now that you mention it it feels like he's kind of missing from this somewhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he should be there yeah like it's an ode in part to the work that he put out there
0: oh for sure um Mick Jagger wanted to play Dr. Frankenfurter that is also a version of this movie that I would love Mm to see with like Mick Jagger Elvis David Bowie (laughs) Like who's your dream cast? <laughs> Vincent Grace. Um,
2: Mick Jagger could also play the mouth that sings the song in the mm, beginning yes. too. He's got that big yeah. mouth of his.
1: So when I was in Montreal for the summer, when I first got there there was like the there's a big circus festival. And part of the circus festival is that um, the students from one of the really good circus schools, um, like, perform in the street, and then they, like, perform in the street all day, and it leads up to, like, this show that they do all together, and one of the acts this year was, um, a swinging trapeze act, which is just, like, a trapeze bar that swings back and forth, and you do tricks, like, on top of it and underneath it. It was a swinging trapeze act to Sweet Transvestite, Oh. and it was, like, one, it was a beast of an act, but, like... I was just so happy that I was like, wow, it's acceptable to watch this in the street. Mm-hmm. There are families here. And there- and like, it wasn't just the one person performing, like the whole cast of all the kids is like, you know, down there performing to this song. And I was just like, this is great. I feel happy right now. Oh, yeah, that's nice. It's so That wouldn't be cool everywhere. And it's great that I was in the place and that a lot of us get to live in a place where that's just flies and it's normal. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, cause like, that's how it just should be right. Like everywhere. And like, imagine if like the people in charge weren't in charge back when this movie came out, like it could have gained so much more ground. And I don't know. I, I think about that sometimes, you know, like this movie is just so far ahead of its time, mm-hmm. but it was also representing what was happening at the time,
1: you yeah. know,
2: like this was not even new to the people involved. Like, this is what their life was, and it's just crazy, like, 30 years later, like, American society, at least, like, is still having trouble. Like, we've come a long way, definitely, and, like, made great strides, but I just feel like, wow, at this point, like, you know, this should just be on primetime or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was. I mean, they did that uh, production of it on Fox.
2: It's right. right. Yeah. Okay. So there I go, there you go. I guess we are. Yeah, it is a little bad. On
0: Fox of all networks. <laughs> yeah, right?
2: Yeah. All right. Good. Good. So... <laughs> um,
0: interestingly, though, when Brad and Janet are in the car, driving the car in the rain, um, on the radio, they are listening to Nixon's resignation, mm-hmm. uh, which I think happened... So they say that this is taking place sometime on a cold November evening, cold November rain. Um, (laughs) But Nixon resigned at some other point in the year, and I can't find the note in my notes right now. But um, Richard O'Brien explained that... uh, difference by saying that Brad was just the kind of guy who had a recording of Rick Nixon's resignation speech and just like listened to it regularly which I think is hilarious.
2: Yeah I thought that was just another sort of political jab at you know the system and mm-hmm. just for politics at the time. I, but um, also
0: like setting a back like a contextual kind of backdrop of like what is is going on in the culture kind of oh
2: yeah yeah absolutely no yeah i mean it says like there's so that nixon just carries so much weight to him in general you know like that's what i was sort of saying earlier where like you could just take it as a joke like oh they're kind of like making fun of nixon or you could say like no like the the politics and the values of america at the time were like seriously screwed (laughs) like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of you know vietnam and all that kind of i mean mm-hmm. that was still going on and fresh and so to, to sneak in nixon in there like that is definitely you know there's a deeper context to it that sort of uh, is permeated across the entire movie it's like why they're making this movie is to break out of it's it's the counterculture of the time basically it's like to like we are against nixon and so like right you know we just want to remind you like yes he he is out of office <laughs> like he we got rid of that and so hopefully this is this these are like the people leading the way um I, I, unfortunately that that didn't exactly happen um but i mean it is happening it's still trying to happen so
0: you know yeah it's, i mean but also you know before world war Two, before like hitler's Rise to power. This was happening in Germany. Like it's not. Mm -hmm. These things have always been happening, and and we, you know, like the.
2: I think of like cabaret, right? Exactly. That's
0: set during uh, the Weimar period in Germany, but also just like what the queer ancestors have been like written out of history, but like they didn't, like, queerness didn't get invented in the 20th century, you know, like, this is, people have always had different sexualities and different ways of expressing their gender and and that sort of thing, like, just dating back throughout human history, and we don't talk about it a lot, but it's, it's there if you look for it, and um, I'm always, like, excited to, to see more pieces of meat, like more kind of historical fiction that does it, it like involve that kind of representation, because um, we definitely don't get enough of it, and and so it's like easy to think that what we're going through is the first time that anyone's ever gone through this, yeah. but it's all, like there's been this kind of push and pull throughout history.
2: Uh, I even um that book, I don't know if I have. <sighs> this story Orlando is like a famous mm. book too, right? That's what I kind of go back to too. It was like that had been around for a long time, you know, and that's about a, a person who goes back from being a man and then becomes a woman for a few years and then becomes a man for a few years. So like, yeah, it's definitely there in, in literature, in history and stuff. But I agree with you. Like it just, it's been repressed, you know, mm-hmm. by who, who is ever in charge because it doesn't make them comfortable. Whereas, there's people where it's like well this is what makes me comfortable this is me in my comfort zone and that kind of thing and so I would much rather live in in a world where that person's in charge (laughs) so hopefully we can get there yeah we just bring this to a political grinding halt like every time we talk know, politics just looking, just sometimes we do that the, yeah. no yeah I'm i think that's another isn't that like a social anomaly though like at some point like everyone stops talking at a party and there's just like a break of silence and everyone just like looks at each other and goes like that was weird <laughs> and it like commences
0: <laughs> yeah no i'm just looking through my voluminous notes to see if there's anything that i missed
2: Oh, I wrote down Madonna, Madonna, pre-Madonna. I wrote that a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially the final floor show. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, come on!" Like yeah. this is that's like her whole tour right there. It's... Yeah. And that's cool, but like she, you know, that's there's another person who got a lot of shit for trying to represent mm-hmm. too. You know, and like everyone just like came at her for wearing a brazier on stage and like, oh, I'm gonna pretend to masturbate in front of everybody, like. You know, like, people got up in arms about her, and it's just performance art, people. Like, come on. Well,
1: I mean... That's also what she wanted. Yeah, that was true.
2: Yeah, that is true. And that, I guess, kind of cheapened it a little bit for me.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, Mm. you know... Not
2: entirely. I still... Believe me, I'm a material guy, a girl, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. What do you call a male Madonna fan? But I've always Well,
0: it's just... It's, like, especially subversive for a woman to do it, um... You know, like, it really, for, you know, it's one thing if it happens in the context of this, like, big, ridiculous musical. It's another thing entirely if a woman is standing on stage, if not by herself, surrounded by a bunch of hulky babes, uh, you know, like, being a sexual being where... Like, in a way where it seems that she is in control. Was she entirely? Who knows? Probably not. But, like, through the history of, like, at least uh, popular music, you know, um, like, women have always been sexualized, but they're being sexualized by other people versus, you know, putting oneself in that sexual position at, or sexual Uh, framework um, and uh, doing it in such an aggressive way. I think that was the other thing that, like, really Mm -hmm. uh, freaked people out was that she was, like, aggressive about it, you know. That's true, When women are not supposed to, um, they're supposed to be these, you know, demure kind of Janets, you know, like, when she gets to the the castle. um, And even, like, kind of up until that moment where she – decides to consent to frankenfurter in her bed um like that's the kind of role that women are supposed to play versus uh you know going out there and saying this is me and this is what i like you know
2: yeah i i always just personally i just feel a little out of my depth sometimes when (laughs) like talking about like this kind of stuff in general sometimes but you know just being a you know almost 40 year old white guy right like I just sometimes feel like I don't you know I just can't see it from every angle um yeah no, and that's and stuff. so fine. like I always no I kind of worry about it sometimes like if like oh that uh, if I if I like it accidentally offend to some degree or anything like that mm-hmm. so I always try and, and be mindful of that kind of thing in general but um I mean just in because this movie isn't necessarily, like, the easiest movie to talk about. Like, it just brings up a lot of, like, yeah. you know, questions, feelings, you know. And also, kind of... I...
0: the language of it has changed so much in
1: the 43 years mm-hmm. that it's been out. Um, yeah. But I also think, Mike, what you're saying is, like, like, even I, as a woman, feel that way a lot of times. Because, yeah woman so like my experience is very different than that of like a white guy whose life is like pretty pretty easy for the most part in a lot of ways because society made it that way but even i feel uncomfortable talking about a lot of these things just because we don't practice Mm -hmm. talking about them Mm -hmm. and like so much of it is just like my own experience in my, you know, limited worldview, because that's all I can know. Mm-hmm. And, like, so, so many times I really just want to stay quiet and, like, listen to other people, because I want to try to understand better. And then that can help me understand my own experience better. So, like, even I feel like I have trouble talking about all of this. Yeah, that that's valid. Right. We're just not practiced at it. Mm-hmm. And Maybe all, some people like, are, but...
0: Yeah, well you get better at it by doing it, you know. Yeah. Um and and by listening and and learning because all you can know is your own experience, but um it's important like the the thing that's kind of so ex- I mean everything's terrible except for this one thing, which is that um <laughs> people are actually talking about it, you know. And that's really exciting because it, it it not only moves the conversation forward, but it also gets everyone a little bit more comfortable yeah. with these things that we've, that, like, especially in the United States, which is, like, so, like, our relationship to sex and sexuality is so fucked up in this country and so repressed in this country um, that, like... You know, it's going to take some practice before people are comfortable with talking about it and, like, living it in like, living their truth in whatever way that means.
2: Yeah, I'm just glad that that we're all open to this kind of stuff, too, and that I have friends that aren't closed-minded and everything. And so it's like, as moving forward, I feel like there's people out there that I can you know, talk to and stuff about this, or we'll be able to like have this, this type of discussion, you know, without like um, arguing or anything like that, or, you know, getting, getting angry at each other for things or anything like we could be, you know, civil because we're genuinely like, you know, interested and accepting of what we're, what we're trying to talk about.
0: Hmm. Something Tim Curry said during that uh, Terry Gross interview that I listened to that I found really interesting was that uh, when actors would ask him for advice for playing these characters, whether it be Frankenfurter or anyone else in a production uh, of Rocky Horror, he would tell them, like, don't think about this as, like, doing drag. It's, it's not that. This is just what everyone wears in Transylvania. Like, this is just <laughs> who they are, and, like, it's not a big deal. And they're just going about... Like, this is just their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really interesting lens to look at this movie through where, you know, especially because people, you know, thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that, are so much more familiar with and more comfortable with drag and stuff like that. um, It's easy to then turn around and look at this movie as like, oh, everyone's just doing drag, but that's... The, these are characters that are being like fully inhabited and like living their lives versus putting on
1: right they don't like turn into something else mm-hmm. when they go to sleep at night mm-hmm. and wake up in the morning like this is just who they are all the time right
2: that's good I like that about that you know that they're not they're not in costume basically mm-hmm. like yeah this is just who they are that's and because that's like the whole vibe of sort of like you know I mean I don't know because I'm straight but like I like just not even just coming out but like coming to terms with things and being like no that is me sort of like owning it and not putting on masks anymore or like you know dressing a certain way because like society is deemed that's the way to dress it's like no just be yourself like mm. be it kind don't of don't dream so, it, be it. <laughs> don't dream it be it exactly. yeah that's his parting message even though you know Dr. Frankenfurter. He's an evil person. Like, you know, from time to time, like, he's got a, you know, he's got a good idea. He's just, he's like, he's like Thanos. He just can't implement it correctly because he's insane. (laughs) You know, it's like he wants to help. He wants to, like, do the right thing, but he's a madman. So, like, he doesn't have the thought process to do it that way
0: yeah i haven't seen any of those movies so i don't really get that reference but i do know that he kills everyone
2: yeah just the idea that he he really wants to help right and like he just has the worst way of helping possible but like he's like i'm trying to do the right thing
0: (laughs) you know i i think um like unfortunately circling back to the nazi stuff that we talked about like like uh, clearly hitler was super fucked up um and i but like bad guys always think they're doing the right thing you know what i mean like with the exception of maybe like dr evil who's like i'm evil
1: (laughs) you know and i'm doing evil i talk to my therapist about this all the time like most people are just doing their best Mm -hmm. and what they think is right like all the time yeah like, and then
2: along comes James Bond, right? I mean, like, every Bond villain is like that, where it's like, it's for the greater good, or, like, I'm only trying to help humanity. Right, they
1: think their reasons
0: are valid. Yeah. And that doesn't make it okay, but that, you know.
2: It's the thought that counts sometimes, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um... No, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a tough. It's you know, it's tough. Like I mean, there's like all these artists out there too that make great art that are just such assholes. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, don't oh,
0: even get me started on that.
2: One. I don't want to get us started. I'm trying to end. <laughs> I'm trying to end it actually. This point, but um, I feel it's sort of like the same thing. It's just like something snuck through the cracks with Frank and Furter and he had one good line. Like yeah, just you know. At the end of the day, be yourself, even if, while well, I tried to be myself, I almost destroyed everybody.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, this is uh, a little bit more in your uh, wheelhouse, Mike, uh, with your show, Third Times of Charm. Did you read about the attempted sequels to the Rocky Horror Picture Show?
2: So I read about Shock Treatment, which was mm-hmm. the, the actual sequel, right? It's like a pseudo-sequel, yeah. I heard. Um, but I've known nothing about a part three.
0: Well, not far. necessarily a part three because shock treatment was technically not a sh- a part two. but I'm still
2: doing pseudo sequels. We're gonna do like the cornetto okay. trilogy and stuff. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh,
0: in nineteen seventy nine Richard O'Brien wrote a projected sequel to the film entitled Rocky Horror Shows His Heels. Uh, The script would have featured the return of all the characters from the original film. And O'Brien wished to largely use the original production team to make the new film. However, Jim Sharman, who I think was the director, did not want to revisit the original concept so directly. And Tim Curry did not wish to reprise his role. So instead in 1981, um, the director reunited with O'Brien to film Shock Treatment which was a standalone that was not a direct sequel to the original film the film uh it's- as originally conceived and written in 1980 under the title The Brad and Janet Show, using most of the songs from the original Rocky Horror Shows His Heels project with lyrical adjustments and depicting the characters' continuing adventures in the town of Denton. However, these plans had to be adjusted due to a Screen Actors Guild strike. And then he tried, like, a couple more times to do a sequel, and they fell apart and just never
1: never got it together it's
3: just too bad I,
2: yeah. I, I, read...
1: well, I think that's okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah I, I yeah i mean it is so one of a kind I, the the sequel is like i didn't even know about it until like last year you know i just sort of yeah. stumbled upon that and it it sounds insane like they build like denton becomes like a the entire town is like a television studio it's almost like the truman show Mm. um except that like residents are either extras or part of shows and stuff and like janet and brad go on a game show and get assigned to like either a soap opera or like something else and i don't know it sounds pretty twisted but uh I i haven't checked it out yet
0: yeah i haven't seen it either but i would like to
2: Uh, My last note on here that I had actually um, this kind of relates a little. It's kind of a key connection to Keanu Club. Uh, It's kind of a Jordan connection as well to Keanu Club. There's a. Is
1: it a hot dog? A hundred percent. It's just
2: when they cut off Janet and she just goes, "You're a hot dog."
1: I laughed so hard when that happened.
2: That was amazing. I laughed. Yeah, so I mean, I can I can't even look at a hot dog the same way ever again, let alone like hear the word hot dogs like because <laughs> of Cage Club. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I'm not complaining. Out. I'm actually happy about uh, it.
0: Check out <laughs> yeah. that episode of Keanu Club. The what was that? Flying dream. There's to two.
1: Oh. There's two. There's a uh, flying which. I just cannot recommend enough. I don't think I've talked a single person into watching it, except for the one person who I made sit down next to me and watch it. I have not seen
0: it, and I talked somebody into watching it the other day. So.
1: Whoa, good for you! Thank it's on YouTube in full. Yeah, I know. It's, it might it's, also it's, be called. It might be called Dream to Believe. Anyway, there's an excellent hot dog scene that I had to watch three times, and I had to stop it because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and uh, and then in. Uh, Oh God, sweet November! There's yep. a hot dog speech. He's gonna sell <laughs> hot dogs.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah. He like he's marketing hot dogs. He's giving a whole sell on it. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Oh, and I mean, then there's a uh, dog eat dog. Mike, did you do that one? With oh, us?
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: There's dog Eat dog, which didn't have hot dogs exactly, except. It did feature a scene where two characters sprayed ketchup and mustard all over yeah, each other, which right. I thought was close enough.
2: Yeah, Cage and Willem Dafoe, they're having a ketchup and mustard fight in their hotel <laughs> For room. no reason. No, no.
1: <laughs> Just saw the other day,
0: Willem Dafoe is in a, they made another movie about Vincent van Gogh, like his later period, and cast Willem Dafoe as a 60-something-year-old. Oh. Which, I mean, What? I like Willem Dafoe. Don't get me wrong. He would have made a great Van Gogh in his 30s. It's just, you know, whatever. Anyway. Well, he's got to be better than
2: Kirk Douglas, right? Like, didn't Kirk Douglas play Van Gogh at one point? He's like, I'm Vincent Van Gogh. (laughs) I'm going to cut off my ear.
0: (laughs) Mike, that's for sure your best impression. (laughs) Thanks. Uh well we were talking before we started recording and you mentioned the Rocky connection. Um
2: oh between... to to Rocky Balboa. Yeah. I was not yeah, I never put that together either. Like that there were two Rocky movies out there, two yeah. whole, like kind of separate threads and that people were getting them confused. <laughs> That's <laughs> adorable. I would love Someone to show up at like a midnight screening of Rocky Balboa dressed as Frankenfurter, yeah. going like, oh uh, "What?" Or even
0: just do like a midnight double feature of one of the Rocky movies with Rocky Horror. It'd
2: be funny if Rocky, the Rocky Balboa movie, like the Stallone movie, turned out to be like the midnight movie people got dressed up to like quote <laughs> along with and everything, and like you get poly lookalikes in there, like. Oh,
0: if you just go by the Philadelphia Art Museum anytime, day or night, there's somebody running up the steps and yelling Adrian, so it's <laughs> you, can, you can get a little taste of that there um, but one of the taglines for the movie was another kind of Rocky uh, and another movie that came out in 1975 Jaws uh, they had one of the tag like one of the posters was the, the Rocky Horror logo, the red lips and then underneath it said a different set of Jaws
2: Oh, I like that. I like the whole marketing campaign.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know if it was so much like a coordinated marketing campaign as like at different times they just used different slogans. Um, Nowadays, it would be a stuff. whole thing. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, for sure.
2: In fact, I think it's it feels like like Deadpool like went to market the new movies. Mm-hmm. He they like any movie that a Fox Blu-ray was re-released with like him on the cover. it's Like, oh. just in case you didn't know, like. What if Deadpool was in Pretty Woman? Wouldn't that be funny?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I'd watch that. Come to think of it, as Julia
2: Roberts, too, not as Richard Gere.
0: Definitely as Richard Gere. (laughs) How could you possibly cast Julia Roberts? She's the treasure. Um, Some of the other taglines, he's the hero. That's right, the hero. What? Yeah, that was not great. Uh, give Yourself Over to Absolute Pleasure. I think that's the one that I probably saw the most often. Uh, which I think, I I think that's one.
2: also the Hellraiser Tagline Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a Hellraiser movie, but the idea is like you open up the puzzle box and out pops Pinhead, and he's like, You have unleashed the ultimate pleasure, which is pain. And like at that point, the guy who opens the box is like, Oh shit, I'm about to get my flesh torn off, uh, but have like the most intense orgasm of my life. And that's pretty much Hellraiser.
0: (laughs) Wow, you know, I have not ever seen any of the movies because I was so scared of the video covers in the video store when I was a kid. But speaking of hot dogs, I did find um, a project on Pinterest the other day where somebody had created a Hellraiser head out of hot dogs with toothpicks. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Definitely not my kind of cooking, but I might try that because it looks ridiculous. Um, oh, don't dream it, be it. That was another tagline. Uh the 1990 15th anniversary video release they used dream it in your living room be it in the theater which is okay all right uh and then the 2025th anniversary tagline was 25 years of absolute pleasure
2: nice sort of celebrating all the anniversaries <laughs> really
0: so if you guys were characters in rocky horror who would you be
2: Okay. So I'm probably one of the weirdos at the party. Like I just don't know if I have if I'm a, if I'm a lead. Um, mm-hmm. If I were a lead, I'd probably be a riffraff.
0: Mhm. I can see that.
2: Yeah. I like the whole hunchback thing and then at <laughs> the end I loved his hair where he put it up in like the the ponytail going forward thing. Yeah. As, that's really
0: And cool. and you get to wear high, uh, thigh high fishnets. We see a little riffraff leg. Hey, yeah, sure.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about you, Jordan?
3: Hmm, I don't know.
2: You said you had the the magenta hair. Oh no, that was you, Kara. No, right? that yeah. was Kara. Kara. Oh, my bad. Oh, my bad.
0: I mean, I always oh, no. identified as magenta, but then when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh no am I a Janet? Because she faints I a lot think I'm a
1: Janet. and she gets really cranky when
0: she's cold and wet. And so do I.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's like, I feel like we do this every time we have to choose characters. We're like, well, I'm a little bit this one and a little bit this one. <laughs> like I'm Janet mixed with somebody else. Cause yeah. I'm not full Janet. No, I don't know. I don't know who I'd mix myself with. <laughs> That's fine. Like maybe half Janet, half Columbia.
0: Yeah, I could see that. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. You'd look
1: fantastic
0: in a sequined.
1: I want that outfit so bad. Me too.
0: It's
1: incredible. Yeah. Well, Who would you be?
0: Well, I guess the obvious comparison is magenta. Because okay. even... But
1: like half Janet, and half magenta.
0: Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, in high school I would have gone with the red-haired magenta, but now that I have dark hair like my natural color hair and also some grays growing in in strategic spots. You could definitely pull off that look from the end with the bride of Frankenstein hair.
2: But well, I don't right. know if that's At like the end. She's got I it am. up like the bride. Mhm. That was great.
0: Yeah, I love that costume. Um
2: Oh, so Kara, okay. If you had to choose, are you going to be outer space magenta Ready to go back in her in her gear there with the hair? Or mm. Auntie Entity in Ooh. the chain mail? <laughs>
1: <sighs> uh, I'm going to have to Google
0: that. That's Tina Turner and Beyond
1: Thunderdome. Oh, I don't have to Google it. <laughs> you guys Google it anyway, because she looks amazing. The song.
0: <laughs> Isn't the song great? It's a good um, song, yeah. You have to see the movie. It's so good. Uh, hmm. God, that's hard. Well... Magenta doesn't Similar have a 200-pound costume, yeah. Whoa. True, true
2: there, yeah. Yeah,
0: she, uh, Tina Turner's costume weighed like 210 pounds because it was, it was all steel possible? mail. It was made out of steel. Oh, my God. Yeah, and wearing high heels. Can you believe that? Tina Turner, Jeez. a true powerhouse. A treasure. Feels. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. I got to go with Tina Turner every all time. All right. Yeah, maybe I, not
2: I, the most fair question. So no, they're you know. both such good costumes. Yeah, it's it's a toss up maybe.
0: Um, but yeah, no, I think I uh, I'm a Janet mostly, <laughs> with a bit of magenta, some Columbia. A large dollop of Frankenfurter and like a sprinkle of Eddie on top maybe.
2: <laughs> oh, I might be. That's funny. I was um. So, I, I brought up earlier, you know, while we talk about how people dress up and go to this and everything like that. I actually remember having that conversation once and saying, like, I would actually dress up as Eddie. Like, I would I would mm. do that. I would go that far, you know? I would, uh, whatever, he's got, like, the cut on his head and sort of, like, the leather jacket and everything. Like, I could, I could do that. i yeah. see myself doing that. I could dress up like Eddie. Uh...
1: Hey, does anyone else have anything to add about Rocky Horror before we wrap this up? Um,
0: oh, uh, I don't think we mentioned this, but Richard O'Brien, when he wrote this, was living as an unemployed actor in London during the early 70s, and he mostly just wrote this because he was bored.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's like one That's winter and he was I mean, bored.
2: <laughs> I love that this is just from his mind, too. Like, yeah,
0: it's, just, it's wild. Boom. That, like, this could, I mean, obviously it takes, like, a lot of people to put on a projection like this, and, like, it's nothing without the production design and the costumes and everything, but, like, the fact that, like, so much of it could have sprang from one person's twisted mind. I love it.
1: (laughs) All right. Kara, you got anything to plug? I don't think so.
0: Uh, I, well, actually, I was recently on Mike's podcast, Third Time's a Charm, where we were talking about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, um, and Tina Turner in all of her glory, so definitely listen to that, or if you just go to cageclub.me Kara, you can find all of the episodes that I've been on with other Cage Club shows, um, and I think... That's kind of all I have going on right now. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, at bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E. And, uh,
1: yeah, that's it. Mike, Mike, what do you got?
2: Um. All right. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out Kara on the Mad Max episodes. Oops floral because I, it is so much Mad Max we had oh, to split yeah. it into two so <laughs> episode seven and eight um, a real
0: marathon recording session
2: <laughs> yeah um and Kara and Brian joins us so Brian from your Grease episode um your listeners would be familiar with his velvet voice um so that's Brian Late Night Rodriguez over there in the Thunderdome and Kara <laughs> Dr. Greens yes um, yeah that's so uh,
0: new apocalypse name
2: yeah and um you could also I was recently on Kyle Reinfried's podcast Foodie Films talking about the great Soylent Green I mm, um, love that movie so that's to check out that movie definitely great um, Joey and I are wrapping up Watch the Throne we've got about well probably like we're, we're really coming down to the wire we've got like two or three more movies at the time of this recording and maybe like five or six more episodes to go until that's wrapped up for the first phase Um, and then we will be announcing soon uh, we're doing some new shows next year in the new year Joey and I are going to do two new shows right now they haven't been officially announced but stay tuned for that so always a lot of new stuff oh and um, we just wrapped up Talking about all the Christopher Nolan movies over on Cinemakers. That's me, Joey, and Chris Mattiello from Now and Again. So lots of lots of stuff out there. I I don't even realize until I say it all out loud just <laughs> how much damn stuff I've been on. Really. Yeah, but it's that's a lot. But yeah, lots of great stuff over on the network. I really feel like September's uh been a great month for content i've been so happy listening to everybody's shows and stuff so like i'm really looking forward to october uh i think there's gonna be a lot of halloween themed stuff out there oh yeah there this. is so, like, yep. this is our
0: transition into halloween yeah this yeah. is actually a september episode but i've okay. declared i've already started my horror movie marathon like halloween is in full swing i was like
1: yeah. let's get to it <laughs> i
2: know i'm so there already I'm, I'm in my mind it's october for sure so, yeah, all that great stuff, uh, cageclub.me.
1: Sweet. Uh, I'm coming up sometime on a Watch the Throne episode. I'm going to be on one of those few that are left. I don't know when. Pretty soon, though. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, go back and listen to our Grease crossover episodes. They were pretty great. Uh, we did a two-part Grease episode one on this podcast and the other one was on the High School Slumber Party podcast with Brian. Um, also, if you haven't watched Grease since you were a child, go take a look at it. Super weird.
0: <laughs> and if you haven't watched Rocky Horror since you were a teen, take a look at it. Super weird. <laughs> Better than you remember. Uh,
1: this episode wraps up our musical month. Yep. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, and we're using it as a transition into our spooky, spooky. October episodes.
3: Spooky.
1: Uh, so those will be coming up soon. Uh, Kara and I are potentially working on a mini podcast <laughs> that we're super <laughs> into <laughs> that we we tested out on mic before the we started recording. show on earth. That's all I know. I don't <laughs> know why we didn't just hit record and make that <laughs> first one. Our bad. We'll try again next time. Uh, <laughs> ca- we can't capture
2: that magic that bottle is already broken but we'll, that was we'll get actually, another jar <laughs>
1: yeah you all missed out that was pretty great <laughs> uh, you can find me on instagram at jordopc uh, you can see all the cage club episodes I'm on cageclub.me slash jordan and uh, we'll see you next time bye bye Day, the earth stood still, but he told us where we stand, and Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear, Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong for Faye Ray and King Kong, they got caught in a cellular
3: jam, then at a deadly pace, it came from outer space, and this is how the message ran, silence fiction, double double feature. Double